I care about statistical scarcity more than positional scarcity. Have I killed fun? Yes. This podcast is going off the rails already. Is, they're, they're pop-ups. They're not infield fly balls. These guys told you look at FIP, not ERA. So wait for Kluber's sale, but pass on Robbie Ray. Hey, real quick, Scott's phoned about the humidor. And pick your milk for breakfast cereal. We've got some hot spring training stats to talk about here on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. I'm Chris Towers. No Adam Azer today, but we do have Heath Cummings and Scott White. Fellas, how was your weekend? So good, Chris. So very good. That sounds compelling. No. And uh, believable. Yes. Yes. I feel sorry, actually, for you that have never dealt with serious back pain because the feeling after that back pain is gone is like you've been you're a new man like i can walk around without looking like i'm 95 years old i can sit in a chair for 10 or 15 minutes and it doesn't kill me it was i I mean, I wasn't enjoying it you were enjoying but it, but it I, was funny to watch you hobble around the you office you were glowing uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that, but yeah, you were uh, you were having some trouble with your mobility and your locomotion. But I'm glad you're doing better. Thanks. I'm glad a weekend on the couch has done you well. We are going to talk about spring training, what matters, what doesn't after the first what week plus ten days of spring action. We're going to talk about latest news and notes. Drew Pomeranz left his start with forearm tightness. We'll talk about that. We're going to get to your emails, fantasy baseball at cbsi.com, and we will start with Wes from Normal, Illinois. What's the absolute earliest I can draft Gary Sanchez where the advantage is worth the draft position? I feel like I play the waiver wire well enough to make up the deficits in other positions that Sanchez would be worth it. I have toyed with the idea of Gary Sanchez as a first-round pick. I think it's probably too much. Well, the I question, would agree. The question was absolute earliest. Yep. And I'm going to assume, if we're going to say absolute earliest, we're going to assume Gary Sanchez's upside mm-hmm. for it to be worth it. So I would say the absolute earliest would be eighth. I mean, he can justify the eighth overall why pick. Why eighth? It I, seems like an I, arbitrary number. No, it's not arbitrary at all. I don't think he's going to be better or more valuable than Arenado, than Mookie Betts, than Blackman, Harper, Trout, Trey Turner, Altuve. I think there's a chance that Gary Sanchez could be more valuable than Paul Goldschmidt this year. I mean, the problem is, you know, so many first-round caliber hitters spill into the second round. I I already have, like, Jose Ramirez, J.D. Martinez, uh, Aaron Judge. I mean, you could make an argument for any of them to be first. They certainly had first-round numbers last year. Uh, And I think you could make that argument easier than you could for Sanchez. Now, maybe... You know, you get toward the end of round two in a 12-team league, and for me, there's like George Springer with that last pick, or or maybe Cody Bellinger, and I could I could understand Gary Sanchez ahead of them, uh, but to me, the absolute earliest would be the end of round two, and you know, we've we've talked before about how my preference is round three, and I want to clarify my statement. I'm not telling anyone they should draft Gary Sanchez eighth because you can if you have the eighth overall pick, you can just take him with your second pick. That would be much smarter. No one's taking him between those two picks. I'm just saying I think eighth is the earliest possible draft position that Gary Sanchez could justify 
in 2018. And if you're in one of those 15-team leagues, I could see him at the turn. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think, Scott, you're probably lowest on him uh, in Why that regard. Why do you hate Gary Sanchez? Well, I mean, we're kind of... I With early round picks, it's it's always concerning to assign them something they haven't done before. I mean, he has yet to perform like a first-rounder, so drafting him in the first round, it seems like a stretch, especially since there are more than enough first-rounders to go around. I, yeah, and I, I think that's probably fair, but I also think his floor is probably still like the number two catcher, and so... He just, he puts you, we've had this discussion a thousand times this offseason, but, you know, that, that's the answer. Scott, you're, you're more comfortable with him at the turn in. At the round two, three turn. Yeah, at the round two, three turn in the 12 team league, Heath and I would take him middle of round two at the earliest. Yeah, I mean, I've not actually taken him in the second round yet, I don't believe. I'm, but I absolutely think you can justify it. All right, Dave from Ontario, adding on to your holds conversation from last week, are you opposed to saves plus holds as a category? Uh, I've emailed about this before, but relievers are being used more often than ever, so why shouldn't league formats adjust to show that? You've often preached about adjusting certain things about leagues, so why not this? Sounds like you guys have something against Adam Ottavino. I just think holds is a stupid stat, and I I think the distribution of holds across baseball, it's it's hard to really differentiate yourself in it it's just kind of like everybody's gonna get everybody's gonna have several relievers that'll get about 20 holds and then what are you really competing for you know like i, I don't I, know i don't have a lot of interest in it i just want to say that wins for pitchers are also a stupid stat. saves are too and if holds had been a part of fantasy baseball since the beginning of fantasy baseball we would just overlook but the I, fact I, that it's a stupid i think stat. that's that's all it is it's just that they're all kind of i think no i think holds is even more stupid because like i said it, it's it's there's not enough elasticity in the save. Am I using that economic in the hold. turn right? In the hold, yeah. Yeah, the the difference between the first guy in holds, we talked about this last time we talked about it, the number one guy and the number 30 guy mm-hmm. is not that wide, whereas the difference in saves between number one and 30 is. And what, to some degree, I have that problem with quality starts, too. But it's, you know, now that innings are, now that six inning starts are becoming so rare, that's less true. Um, what I would prefer is saves plus holds. Minus blown saves. Okay. Sure. All right. Brian from Amherst, Ohio. Hey, Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. I have no idea who those guys are. (laughs) I'm in a 10-team head-to-head, nine categories league with the ninth pick. Normally waits for pitching until the fourth and fifth rounds. However, with the ninth pick, is it better to pair up Stanton or Blackman with a top-tier pitcher? Or should he just wait, take Stanton and Correa, or Blackman-Machado combo, and get a pitcher later? This is a 10-team league, so... A little shallower things, things can get a little weirder in those shallower leagues. Yeah, I'm definitely all about grabbing the four, one of the four super elite pitchers at the, at the turn there, the first set, the round one, round two turn, uh, because I think that is the clearest advantage apart from maybe Sanchez. That's the clearest advantage you're going to find at any position. And I think with the way pitching has evolved over the last couple years, um, you really can't count on breakouts at that position the way you used to. So I, I think the fact that it's a 10-team league, and I've talked about this before, uh, the shallower the league, the more the more necessary it becomes to get advantages at positions because you know the bottom-level player is going to be 
higher than it will in a deeper league. And so, you know, that that's again, that's one clear spot where you can get an advantage. I'll just wait and piggyback on the next question because it's kind of related. All right. The next question from, comes from the listener with no name. My identity must remain anonymous because my league is made up of CBS podcast listeners. Plays in a 12-team, 6 by 6 categories league, and he has a pick at the end of the first round. He's thinking of taking two of the Super Aces with his first two picks. I haven't heard this strategy discussed on the podcast, and I would like to hear your thoughts. I did this in a mock draft. Yeah, and I would like to first uh, scold you for not just reading his email address out so that all of his friends know who it is. Uh, Azer did not put it in the notes, yeah. and I'm too lazy to go look for it. I pr- understand that. You completely. have access to the emails if you want to I I like, and this is something that's changed for me, and going back to the last question, this is something that's changed for me. I didn't really want to take a pitcher in the first round last year, period. I don't generally like drafting pitchers really early, especially two of them with your first two picks. In points leagues, I'm absolutely okay with this now. Taking, if you have a pick at the end of the first round, even as early as 10, I'm just totally okay with starting with Kershaw and Scherzer or Kershaw and Kluber, and I think you could really make a lot of hay that way. This is probably the league where I'm least likely to do it in a six, in a, in a head to head categories league. Yeah, I mean, you prefer the relief pitcher heavy right uh, approach in a categories league. I did it in a head-to-head league, a head-to-head points league, 12 teams, where I took Kershaw and Sale with my with the 10th and 15th picks. The team's pretty good. There are enough hitters, especially in a head-to-head league, that I think that makes sense. In a roto league where the, the rosters are a little deeper and you need 14 hitters as opposed to nine starting pitchers, it the balance gets thrown off a little there. Well, and yeah. we don't talk about it enough, but the, the lineups construction matters so much in these categories leagues. Yes, because they're like when we did our head-to-head categories mock, and I didn't complain about it at all. But we did it with five starting pitchers, two relievers. There was no way to go relief pitcher heavy. Yeah, we did it with points lineups basically in a categories league. If you play on one of the other sites, it may, you, you likely just have a one catcher, three outfielder categories league. Yeah. That really increases the value of pitchers and categories compared to our typical categories leagues. I tout wars is my tout wars draft is coming up Tuesday. Um, and we kind of had a draft to determine draft position for that last week. And I was the second place finisher, so I picked second. The team that finished first picked the number one pick. I picked the twelfth pick because I wanted to make sure I got one of these aces. And to do that, I'll have to take them with that first pick of mine, the twelfth pick. Uh, and I wanted to leave myself with one of what I considered to be a first round caliber player with my second pick, nineteenth pick. That was the late, that was the earliest I could pick and still give myself that. But by doing that, I've put myself in a position now where I potentially will have to begin with two of these pitchers. If, let's say, Chris Sale is the player who falls to 19th, you know, I could wind up starting my draft with Scherzer and Sale. And ultimately, I'm okay with that. But I think one thing I want to point out here is that part of what makes it a viable option to draft these pitchers early is because there are so many alike hitters later in the draft, basically all the way through the draft in leagues, 12 teams or fewer. Um, but that range of hitters at the very beginning, 24 or to 30 or so, really do stand out from the rest. So 
ideally I wouldn't want to double up on it because you're missing your chance to get to draft from that group of hitters that can genuinely set you apart when the rest of the draft is going to be a bunch of hitters who probably won't. And that's it. That's the end of the thought. It sounded like you had more. more. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. really expecting the hammer. To there was just a real. <laughs> there was a pregnant pause there. Yeah. All right, we will. Uh, we'll move on to some injuries, news, and notes before talking about spring standouts, positive and negative, uh, and whether they matter. Uh, but to get to the injuries, news, and notes, Drew Pomeranz left his start with forearm tightness. Sounds like it was more of a precautionary thing early in the spring, uh, but we'll keep an eye on that because this is not a guy who. Uh, who has shown the ability to be a workhorse. I think he's made 30 starts each of the last two seasons and has not topped 180 innings. Yeah, I, this is worth a slight downgrade sure. for Pomerantz. Um, I had him towards the end of the draft anyway. He's maybe questionable whether he gets drafted. Okay. Paul DeYoung is getting a contract extension, mm. so the Cardinals are putting some faith in him. I would guess it's, you know, a, a cheaper version of the Evan Longoria contract where it, yeah. There's basically no risk for the team. Didn't here. they give Aledmus Diaz an extension, or am I making that up? I have no. I mean, they cut him, yeah. right? So I, I would yeah. guess not. <laughs> uh, but I can't remember that. Cole Hamels yeah. is opposed to a six-man rotation. I mean, starting pitchers are such creatures of habit. We see this a lot, where where some guys, you know, get pushed to the wrong day, they get blown up, and you know they blame it on not having the right off day or the. You know, the wrong throwing schedule, but at Cole Hamill's age, I'm not sure it's going to hurt him, but we don't really have that much interest in Cole Hamill's at this point, right? Uh, no, I mean, he's gonna get drafted. <laughs> and the way, um, the way Jeff Bannister breaks it down, he, he should still get 32 starts. He should still have a chance at 200 innings. Uh, if he's good. Yeah, and, and uh, apparently when they say six-man rotation, they don't necessarily mean every time through. Off days will, you know, cause them to skip pitchers from time to time. So there will be fewer two-start possibilities for Hamels, though, is the point, and that's uh, that's going to be that's going to be that's going to make it tougher to use even in points leagues, which is a better format at and this I, point. I do have a little bit of interest in Hamels, just because I don't know that he should be. He was bad last year, and if he's what he was last year, there's no form of regression or luck that's going to make him good but he's going behind Danny Salazar who we don't even know when he's going to pitch he's Mm -hmm. going behind Pomerantz he's going behind Dylan Bundy he's going behind Charlie Morton who's been good for about three months in his entire major league career yep so I I think he is being drafted in the right place I I'm I'm fine with taking him in the 19th round or whatever. I should also point out Mike Miner and Matt Bush are both off (laughs) to bumpy starts and they're both transitioning from the bullpen so yeah these concerns are not my well right it's it's very early it's very springy it may mean nothing but if they can't come up with six viable options then i guess they wouldn't go with a six-man rotation michael fulmer was scratched from his start on saturday with elbow soreness that's a good sign for someone whose season ended with uh elbow surgery last year i think he had the same i want to say he had the same surgery as steven matz he had the uh the nerve repositioning uh, surgery. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, well, what you really want is if you have a pitcher that doesn't strike anybody out and has a really low upside, if you could also have a super low floor because they have arm problems. Yeah, Michael Fulmer, um, 
what, rookie of the year 2016, but he's not been that good since. He's a contact-heavy pitcher. I'm not sure I'm drafting him right now. Can we call him Michael Fulmore-Williams? Why would we do that? Michael Carter-Williams, rookie of the year, actually not good. Oh. Come on. You could do that, yeah. I think that's a pretty good nickname. Yeah, you can do that. Okay, thank you. Uh, Orioles first baseman Chris Davis had an MRI on his elbow, which revealed no structural damage, but... I mean, I, I guess he's not, he's got high ceiling, right? He's not quite Michael Fulmer. He, he's a boomer bust pick still. No, he is exactly the type of player that I want to take at the end of the draft, and that's where he's available. He, I just put him in my, uh, sleepers column that'll come out this week. Name brand sleepers or brand name sleepers. Name brand, brand name? Name brand. They're both commonly used. Anyway. I absolutely think he has 40 homer potential. I absolutely think he has 100 RBI potential. And he's available in the 20th round. That surgery for Michael Fulmer was ulnar transposition surgery, which sounds like what Steven Matz had. Steven Matz, by the way, probably having the worst spring of any pitcher. Yeah, we will get to that when we talk about what matters and what doesn't in the spring. Troy Tulowitzki not expected to be ready for opening day due to bone spurs in his heel. That's not a great sign. I don't think anybody has any interest in Troy Tulowitzki. Speaking of Aledmus Diaz. Yes. Uh, he did actually get a contract extension from <laughs> okay. the Cardinals. Four years, $8 million. He was not released by the Cardinals. He was, he was traded. traded. Okay. So the Blue Jays made an effort to acquire him. And now Troy Tulowitzki is not going to be... They just have a crowded infield. That's the thing. Even with Troy Tulowitzki hurt, it's not clear if he's going to play every day. It's not clear if Jan Harris Solarte is going to play every day. I think those are both guys that we like. I'm going to go ahead and say options. opening day, Jan Harvis and Aledmus are both going to be in the Blue Jays lineup. And I'm, I'm perfectly willing to draft Jan Harvis Solarte with a, a last round pick in a Roto League. I think there's still, you know, he's hit 20 home runs before. He's hit close to 300 before. I, I kind of like him. Kind of at this point, not really looking forward to Troy Tulowitzki coming back. And I'm not really looking to, well, less so Tulowitzki, but I would rather Solarte play than Devin Travis too. And Devin Travis has yet to show he can last yeah. anyway. So Mitch Haniger has been cleared to swing a bat as he recovers from a hand injury. So, you know, hopefully he can get going. He's someone who definitely has some sleeper appeal. Archie Bradley, Brad Boxberger, Yoshihisa Hirano are in a wide open competition to close for the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're all hoping for Archie Bradley to get that, right? Well, I have enough shares in Brad Boxberger at this point that I'm hoping he'll he'll win. And I do think Bradley's the best pitcher, so I guess for the greater good, I'll say Bradley. But uh, I have my doubts that they want to go that route. And I think Boxberger, former All-Star closer, uh, he has been dealing with um, a little bit of a health issue early this spring, but he's set to come back from it soon. And uh, he's my favorite to win it. And Bradley hasn't been particularly good yet. He's yeah, got I mean, four runs and three and a third inning. I would four and a third inning. I would first. guess that's well. I mean, I guess if since it's a competition performance does matter, but they they know what they're getting from Bradley by now. I would assume. And let's not ignore Yoshihisa Hirano, a eleven uh, year veteran of the Japanese league, played for Oryx for eleven seasons, and uh, was one of the best closers in Japan. Came over on a. Uh, on a pretty cheap deal with the Diamondbacks, but he's someone who has said that part of the reason why he signed with the Diamondbacks because he has the opportunity to close. He wants to be the closer there. Doesn't have... Yeah, what's his K per nine in Japan? 8.2 for his career, which 
I think you could probably translate that to over a strikeout per nine just because the strikeout rates are lower in Japan. The last couple of years, uh, he was over 10 strikeouts per nine for about six years in a row and then 7.4 and 8.4 over the last two years. So, And he has a really fun like submarine-style delivery, right? I'm not. I have never seen him pitch, so I, I cannot comment on that. I can only tell you what the numbers look like. We're, we're good at a, at confirming each other's like like eighty percent confidence statements in this podcast. Actually, no one's confirmed my statement yet. Heath says nothing with eighty percent confidence. It's a hundred percent confidence. <laughs> There was a question mark at the end of my... All right, well, while you look that up, there is no timetable for Corey Seager to make his Cactus League debut in the field, but he has been serving as a designated hitter. This is from the elbow injury that he was dealing with at the end of last season. Are we concerned about Corey Seager? It's it's concerning because it's the same thing he was dealing with last season. But I'll remind everyone that this point last year... We were panicking about Corey Seager's health and letting him fall full rounds on draft day. And then he played opening day and it was no big deal. I think it was a hip issue at the time. So we've kind of been down this road with Seager before. But yeah, I, I would hope that after an off season of rest, something from last year would be a non-issue. That's yeah. the concerning part to me. B- bad news. It does not look like he has a fun submarine style uh, delivery. So, just a normal delivery? Yep. It's I'm, probably I'm, still fun. I'm out on Hirano. Hirano, no. Uh, Neil Walker turned down a minor league contract with the Royals. That is insulting. Heath, your organization is insulting. I, too, am insulted that Neil Walker doesn't want to play for the Royals. Ahmed Rosario is dealing with a knee injury. I believe it's being classified as irritation right now. We'll we'll monitor relate. that uh, for the uh, for the I next few days to right see now. <laughs> if Ahmed Rosario's injury will become an issue moving forward. And now we'll move on to spring training standouts. I gave you guys a list of good and bad performances from the spring so far. It very small sample size caveat that we're dealing with. Most pitchers have thrown. I mean, between the ones we're going to talk about, they've thrown between 1.2 and 6 innings. But uh <laughs> So maybe as much of a start's worth of innings. Pitchers who haven't been the worst pitcher imaginable have thrown between 4 and 6 innings for the most part. So we're still talking about very small sample size. Basically what I want to do is, is ask you what matters. Here. Okay. Okay. And uh, so we'll go through them. Just kind of stop me when something matters to you. Whit Merrifield is 9 for 17, 5 extra base hits, only 2 strikeouts. Ronald Acuna is 9 for 21 with 1 extra base hit and 4 strikeouts. I think that matters. I think he was the single player whose spring performance I wanted to monitor the most. That 1 extra base hit was a home run, and it was an opposite field home run off a major league pitcher, Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, so that was cool. Stri- strikeout rates low. Overall, I mean, good batting average. Um... No reason to think his timetable is going to be slowed by this. I'm still expecting to see him in mid-April. Fernando Tatis Jr., 8 for 21, 4 extra base hits. I believe he went 4 for 4 with a dong on Sunday. He struck out 7 times, stole 3 bases. Really? No? I mean, yeah, it's... He's getting slept on in the, uh, (laughs) you know, child of former major leaguers who are also top prospects right now, but... That are also dynasty and keeper leagues. He got to, he got to double A last year. Like there's, Didn't he's, do not, much. he's not going to make the majors this year. So, okay. But like, I am encouraged that he's, what, 19? 
and hitting so well. Tyler Glasnow, five innings, four earned runs, no walks, eight strikeouts. Yeah, this definitely matters. He might he might wind up on Sleepers 2.0 that I'm going to be working on this week. Uh, absolutely dominated AAA. I don't know if I've seen a pitcher pitch as well as he did in AAA down the stretch over a stretch of about 90 innings and not become a major. Like, he was... He had an ERA under two. He had, like, I think his FIP was, like, 1.4 in that stretch. He was absolutely, utterly dominant and then got back to the majors and walked, like, 13 batters You think his what was 1.4? I think his FIP at Triple A. Okay, I thought you said whip, and I was like, yeah. No, it was much lower because he was, yeah, he stopped walking, guys. But then he came up at the end of the major league season and was awful again, so... I will uh, have Tyler Glass now on as many teams as I possibly can. Yeah. And, uh... I might have him on zero teams by the end of April. We'll see. <laughs> Madison Bumgarner, nine strikeouts, two earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. He's healthy. That's the only reason. Noah Syndergaard, same thing. Six strikeouts, five innings pitched. He's healthy. Jason Kipnis, five home runs. He's eight for 14. Heath. I'm going to move him up just a little bit. I had basically ranked Jason Kipnis as if I don't want to draft him ever. I give up on him. <laughs> I'm not quite as ready to give up on him now. It is really early. He may be in great shape right now. He's still struggled a lot last year. So I'll Which, move up a little bit. I mean, bit. he missed time with hamstring injury, with a hamstring injury and with a shoulder injury. And, you know, the last time we saw him do that poorly in 2014, he was battling an oblique injury. I don't think he, he was healthy in the spring last year either. Yeah, he had a comment. And, you know, injuries affect different players differently. He had a comment about how when you're injured, um, you know, after he, this was after he hit his fifth home run Sunday. When you're, when you're dealing with an injury, you're spending time that you would normally spend on video and, and in cage work just getting treatment on your injuries. And so, I mean, you put it that way, it makes sense why you'd struggle, why the struggles would coincide with that. Um, you know, five home runs and 14 at bats already. It is Arizona. It is spring training. The most, he had ever hit in spring training before was three and 60 <laughs> at bats. So he's, he's definitely uh, on a roll right now. And I agree. I mean, just he's only a year removed from a 23 homer, 42 double 15 steal season. So uh, John Heyman reporting Paul DeYoung's deal. Mm -hmm. It's a little different than a led Diaz's. Okay. Who got 8 million over four years. Paul DeYoung is getting 26 million over six years. Okay. So they bought out one free agent year, uh, yeah, that that's a commitment. Yeah. Not not so much of a commitment that if he's bad they can't just bench him. That's bench player money, but that's a commitment for sure. All right, let's talk about a guy who has a career 571 batting average in the majors. Miguel Andahar, 8 for 19, four home runs, eight RBIs. He playing his way into the conversation for a starting role in that Yankees lineup. The biggest question for him is defense. Um, because I think if that, if he had already cleared that hurdle, they, you know, they, they maybe, maybe they wouldn't have gone out and gotten Drury, or if they did, it would be a second base insurance for Glaber Torres coming back from Tommy John surgery. And Torres hasn't really done much of anything this spring, so, uh, you know, there's a chance it could still play out that way. We're opening day, Andujar's at third, and Drury's at second. That's just not, uh, that's not how they were handicapping it when they acquired Drury. So still still some hurdles to clear here, but definitely an interesting scenario unfolding. Scott, does Scott Kingery hitting three home runs in his first week of spring training matter? 
there's well, there's nowhere for him to play. Yeah, there's nowhere for him to play. And and they the thing is like they've they've given him a start at center field. He's played some shortstop this spring. Like they're but like, the outfield's but, already yeah. crowded. And, and they're already juggling playing time in the outfield. Right. And presumably shortstop's going to JP Crawford. It's not a position Kingery has much exposure to in the minors, so I don't see them doing that full time. They're just, you know, trying to make versatile players. So um no. I mean Yes, because it means this is something we're going to be talking about all season, and Cesar Hernandez better not stumble out of the gate, but no in terms of is he going to have a lineup spot on opening day. It'll take an injury. What about a former top prospect who hit 18 homers last season and reworked his swing? Austin Hedges, 6 for 10, 4 home runs. Does it matter? It probably matters just a little bit because he's a catcher. And there are not that many enough good catchers. And we're already, um, you know, moving Mejia a little higher in our rankings just because of his upside. Mm -hmm. And what if he actually gets to play and then we have a good catcher? And what if Austin Hedges just isn't quite as terrible? Austin Hedges, for his career at AAA, uh, it is the PCL El Paso, but 23 homers, 944 OPS in 103 games. He's 25 years old. There is still potential for Austin Hedges. Oh, for sure, yes. Might work his way into the sleeper conversation. Amir Garrett, five innings, ten strikeouts, no walks, no hits. <laughs> he, hey, I mean, if you want to work your way into a starting rotation spot, this is how you do it. Just and be, he, be perfect. he flashed some real upside early in the season. I remember in the early waiver wire columns, he got written about a lot. Uh, just couldn't keep the ball in the yard, plays in the wrong park he to had have a homer tw- issues. 28% home run to fly ball rate last year, even if you're awful. And he gave up like a 40% hard contact rate. So people yeah. were just hitting him hard. But even if they're hitting you that hard, that's some regression coming in your direction. The big thing for him is not even the 10 strikeouts. It's the zero walks in five innings. I think he was a five walks per nine in the majors last year. Yes. he. You can't do that. Yeah, Brian Price... The Reds manager, who is a former pitching coach, mm-hmm. made some comments after this most recent start Saturday, or maybe it was Friday, where where Garrett had six strikeouts in three innings. I'm not even sure it was a start, but that was the appearance. Um, about how he doesn't have the hitch in his delivery this time around and just looks a lot more mechanically sound. He also, coming into spring training, had Garrett handicapped pretty low in the Reds' rotation battle. Now... You know, if he keeps doing this, I don't see how they don't give him a job. And I would want to see them give him a and, job. And it's not there, like there's the a lot of candidates there. Yeah, but it's not like the competition is especially fierce. No. You know, it, the, there there are some guys in there that we think are interesting. Mm-hmm. But outside of Castillo, there's nobody really that we think is irreplaceable. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I would assume if they're healthy, Desclafani, Homer Bailey, and Brandon Finnegan are all in just because of seniority. Yeah. But um, Desclafani has been hit hard so far. Beyond, yeah, beyond that, I yeah, the the jobs are up for grabs, and you know it might mean it, it might be at the expense of Robert Stevenson, who's somebody we've talked about mm-hmm. um, because he's relief pitcher eligible, and he I had a strong finish he's been last year. Good so far, in the yeah, he either. hasn't been. And the, like the path for Garrett to be a a good pitching prospect, come up to the majors and have terrible control and get hit really hard. That does not preclude you from becoming a good pitcher. That has happened to a lot of good pitching yes. prospects in their first year or two, including the next guy we're going to talk about. Blake Snell, only one walk in six innings of work, also one hit, one earned run, six strikeouts. Just hopefully build on what he did in the second half last year where he really improved his control. One of, 
all of our and I think the industry's favorite breakout candidates. But you would think that, but his ADP is mm-hmm. still down around 200. Yep. I'm going to make it a mission of mine in the month of March to change that. Okay. Because I, I think if he shows good control, then he could be a top 30 starting pitcher. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. He's got 200 strikeout potential. Let's talk about some standouts on the minus side and just tell me if these matter. We'll start with two of the industry's favorite breakout hitters. Domingo Santana, 6 for 17, so still hitting, but 9 strikeouts in about 18 plate appearances. Any concern there? Nope. Not any new concerns. I mean, there's still an <laughs> inherent playing time Domingo, concern. And Domingo Santana still being Domingo Santana, right? That's kind of what it is? Well, yeah. I mean, he's... Yeah, he strikes out a lot. He is a big swing hard in case you hit it type of guy. And well, he, he also is really hard. fast. Yeah. He hits it hard and he runs yeah. fast. Yoan Moncada hits it hard, runs fast, but he's one for 16, seven strikeouts, no extra base hits, one stolen base. <laughs> Any concern there? Scott's like, Scott, yeah, I don't Scott know almost. if he almost vomited or if he was <laughs> laughing at Yoan Moncada, one of the two. Uh, either way, I share Scott's concern. I, yes, I am. <laughs> This is enough to be a little concerned about Mancata. He's the all, flaws are the flaws are real. All the potential in the world, but he has not shown it. Other than last September, no, he hasn't. And you know, not even the last couple of years in the minors have been have the numbers been that great. This is it's turning into Byron Buxton. You know, the the good September, what, 2016 for Byron Buxton? Or 2015 he had the good September, struggled in 2016, had a great finish again. Now he's starting to build on it. It's just no, you got your years off there. It was 2016, 2017. Cause okay. we're in 2018 now. Uh, that, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that means I turned 30 this year and that doesn't sound right. Some of our favorite late round sleeper type pitchers, Dylan Bundy, four and one third innings, 10 earned runs, no strikeouts, three walks. I mean, it doesn't really mean a lot to me. Okay. Not to me. What about you, Heath? No. I mean, he's, I, I wasn't that excited about him in the first place. He's someone who's coming pretty much free in drafts. Like he's around 200 overall, maybe a little lower, I would guess. Like, like he and Kevin Gosman, I feel like it's so transparent what their success depends on. Gosman needs to throw a splitter, and he is. He's, it he, hasn't worked. He was very good in his most recent start. Yes. Very bad in his first. Yes, yes, no, yeah. Gosman uh, historically has been somebody who's introduced that splitter over the course of the season, which leads to some pretty extreme splits. Uh, but he says he's throwing all his pitches from the get-go this year. But Bundy, it's the slider-cutter hybrid that he reintroduced to his arsenal last year. And it was a good pitch. It had a great April when he featured it about 20 to 25% of the time. Had a great August when he threw it about 20 to 25% of the time. The middle months, it was closer to 15% of the time. And it was ugly. So that's that's all I'm really watching for him. Is it unfair to say that... Like Dylan, we're hoping Dylan Bundy becomes Trevor Bauer. No, but there are people who think Trevor Bauer can be an ace. Right. I'm saying Dylan Bundy becomes what Trevor Bauer did last year, where he's like, "Oh, he's not awful." No, because Trevor Bauer still only had like a four ERA. So, like, what Trevor Bauer did last year was be really terrible and then really, really good. Trevor Bauer's second half of the season was exceptional. He was one of the better starting pitchers in baseball. Stephen Matz has not been one of the better starting pitchers in baseball. He has allowed 10 earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. He has one strikeout. He's walked two batters in each of his appearances. It, it's very Matt Harvey circa 2017 spring training where every quote is, well, I feel good, 
I feel like I'm in better shape than I have been in years past. And the manager's just like, well, he's just got to fine-tune some stuff. And uh, he keeps going out. I mean, it's only two appearances, but he's getting shelled. I haven't been able to find – this might be another Bundy-Gosman situation where his success might depend on the slider. He didn't throw it last year, uh, said because of the elbow issues. Had this nerve surgery in the offseason, supposed to fix his elbow issues. I haven't found any evidence that he's throwing the slider. If he's not, we saw what he was last year. He doesn't have a swing and miss pitch without that. And uh, and to be honest, his rookie season, his swinging strike rate was below average. Also, he it's didn't. Kind of... He included the he introduced the slider late in that season. Oh, okay. Um, well, the thing about Mats is that he's not guaranteed a job because only one of him and Wheeler can make it. And uh, Wheeler's coming back from his own health issues, but you know they're both being stretched out to start this spring. There was some talk that maybe Wheeler could start the year in the bullpen, but um, when spring training opened, Mickey Calloway backed off of that and said, no, he's competing to start. I mean, I regardless of what Wheeler's done, I think Matt's is losing this competition right now. Yeah, I, I had moved Matt's and Harvey probably three or four weeks ago. I realized how, like, they were not in my top 350, 400. Sure. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to move them up to the point that they're worth a late round flyer. And so I moved them into my top 250, both of them. Uh, Matt Harvey's staying there and maybe even moving up closer to the 220 range. Uh, there's no reason to draft Stephen Matt's right now. Agreed. Miles Mikolas was a uh, very good pitcher in Japan over the last couple of years. Pitching Eric Thames. Uh, I mean, Eric Thames was actually good. Last spring and right last April. Uh, he's trying to be pitching Ma- Ma- Eric Thames, and right now it's not going well. Ten earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts, and four and two-thirds innings. Even as a, a late-round sleeper, not someone worth drafting right now, because I don't think anybody thinks he has much upside. Nope. And Robbie Ray's gotten off to a rough start. Five earned runs and two and two-thirds innings, three walks, three strikeouts. There's no human or at spring training. And that was mostly in the second start, for what it's worth. I yep. mean, one... Ugly outing can obviously skew a spring line. All right, let's talk about some fantasy combos. We're going to take a couple of players and do a would you rather have this combo versus that combo. We'll start with a starting pitcher and a first baseman. Would you rather invest early in Corey Kluber and settle on Jose Abreu or go with Joey Votto and Jacob deGrom? Jacob deGrom not pitching in spring training games yet, but I believe he's expected to make his debut this week. Which would you rather have, Corey Kluber and Jose Abreu or Joey Votto and Jacob deGrom? Huh. I think I know Scott's answer. I don't know my answer. In a points league, it's Kluber and Abreu, and it's pretty easy for me. In Roto, it gets a little bit more difficult. See, I was almost thinking points. <laughs> I'd rather have Votto and deGrom because uh, I, think, the I feel like the Votto-Abreu gap is bigger in that format. I mean... I mean, the Kluber and DeGrom gap is also probably bigger in that format. Both Abreu and Votto are really good in both. I, I don't know if, like, either one is someone that I necessarily, like, think is that much better in one category, one format versus another. Like, Votto's, well, the reason I feel that way is because Abreu doesn't walk much, yeah. but he always has a 290 batting average. But, but he also doesn't strike out much. He gets good counting stats, so he's still very good in points. He might be a little better in Roto. Votto might be a little better in points, but... Yeah. Votto's really good in Roto, too, because he's going to hit. He's going to be one of the best batting average guys in baseball. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Kluber is a bigger priority at the point where you draft him in Votto 
for me than Votto is. That's so, why I knew what your answer was. Right. I don't know that Abreu would be my choice to pair with him. But I'll Just take that. I'll take that. I'll take game. that combo. Okay. Heath. Um, I will take Kluber and Abreu in points. Uh, I will take Kluber and Abreu as well. Uh, no, I'll take Votto and Degrom because I just I haven't really found myself drafting Kluber yet. Next combo: Whit Merrifield and Christian Yelich, or Brian Dozier and Andrew McCutcheon. So, would you rather have the early round second baseman or the early round outfielder to pair? Dozier for me is the best player in this group. Yep, and so I will take that side. Dozier and McCutcheon for Heath. I think I would go Dozier and McCutcheon as well. There are, I think, fewer questions on that side of uh, the ledger. I know McCutcheon's been up and down, but that Giants lineup's going to be at least as good as the Pittsburgh one. I don't think he's moving into a worse park for right-handed batters. Uh, so I'm not that worried about that. And I have questions about both Merrifield and Yelich. Scott is, um. Scott's not gonna participate Scott's in this game. Dying? He's still vomiting over the performance. Who of was Yohan it? Mankata. Of Yohan Mankata. Uh, Steven Matz didn't help. So, I will play the game. Uh, next one. Or Scott, do you want to get in here? Win yeah, Merrifield sorry. and Christian Yelich or Brian Dozier and Andrew McCutcheon? I want Merrifield and Yelich. Especially in Roto Leagues. They will steal more bases. Yeah. Points leagues, I could be talked to do the other, but the thing is, I'm just not excited about McCutcheon this year. Uh, disagree. Nolan Arenado and Lorenzo Cain, or Travis Shaw and Charlie Blackman. So which would you rather have a brewer and a Rocky, or a Rocky and a brewer? Oh, man. I, I think they've got a, ch- a brewery at Coors Field. I would like to choose Travis Shaw's side, but I can't. So okay. I'll take Arenado and Kane. Does the format matter for this one? No, I don't think it does. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't a lot for me either. I, I also want the Arenado side. That's like the uh, the pizza filled pretzel of combos. Okay. Yeah. That I. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good combo. I don't remember any of the other combos. Isn't there like cheese filled cracker? Or I something? like. I like combos. Is that weird? I don't know that I've ever had one. You've never had a They're combo? They're disgusting. Yeah, I don't think I've It's ever like had. a processed cheese product inside, but I, it's I delicious. Don't, I don't like to put that kind of stuff in my body. <laughs> Heath's body is a temple. <laughs> Factual. As he's wearing a brewery shirt. By the way, I don't know. This will be a fine test of the new mics on my coughing in the background. I'm, I don't know how much of that is I'm sure being it's picked up. Real bad. We need to get the cough <laughs> buttons. Uh, Do they work these. yet? No, they don't here. work. No. No? Can you can you hear me? Yeah. I'm holding it down. Oh, okay. Yes. This they don't. I was telling you. Outstanding. They don't Are we done with the combos? <laughs> Andrew Benintendi and Francisco Lindor, or Aaron Judge and Alex Bregman. There is so much fun to be had here. I'm going to go with Judge and Bregman. I don't think Scott is. I'm thinking it over. I'm looking. I will go with, you know what? I am going to go Judge and Bregman because I like Bregman that much more than Benintendi. I think I would go Benintendi and Lindor. Well, that does not surprise anyone. You've railed on Alex Bregman's ADP, and you think that Aaron Judge is a 220 hitter. I I think there's a chance that I, I would say this. Judge and Bregman have more upside. I think they both have... Considerable downside at their current costs. 
I think that's a fair statement, but I I don't think, especially well, I, in either case, I, I think the percentage chance of the downside is still fairly low. I think it's pretty high with Judge Bregman. I think has a pretty safe floor. I, it's more about the price, but Judge, I, I I do think he's got just a really large and wide potential. I mean, considering we're comparing him to Lindor here, we're talking late second round where we're drafting Judge. If he's yep. just Eighty percent of what he was last year isn't that still right? I think I think there's pick? a chance he's fifty percent. There's what he a was chance. Last year. There's a chance, and not like a like slim. I think there's a chance that he's like a thirty-three homer, two thirty hitter, with no injuries. With no injuries, I think I think that that's with me, I but I know it does, but I think that's within the realm of possibility for his talent level. Um, and Benintendi and Lindor, they might hit two ninety and combine for fifty steals, which is it's hard possible. to come by possible and we'll finish up the show with more of your emails fantasy baseball at cbsi.com is the email address we will try to read as many as we can moving forward uh just some programming notes tuesday and wednesday should be the two-part starting pitcher preview it'll go very much like the outfield preview i would guess adam expected to be back tomorrow and then after that we will be able to get to even more of your emails, even more of your questions, even more of the uh, the latest comings and goings in the Arizona Cactus League and uh, what is it? The Orange League? Grapefruit. Grapefruit. Come on, Orange aren't League. Aren't you a aren't you a native of South Florida? Yeah, I don't. I don't like grapefruits though. No one likes grapefruit. That's true. I like grapefruit. That's well. I was going to say the only people that <laughs> like grapefruit are people that are old enough that most of their taste buds have died. <laughs> but you are actually that old, so I loved it as it like a little kid. That's it was not so surprising. fun to eat. Yeah, you, little, you cut out the little triangles. Uh, that's that's stupid. disgusting. Yeah, your your mind at that point was like fifty five already. <laughs> so. On the other hand, Heath and I both love really really bitter beers. So who are we to judge? Let he who is without sin. Cast the first grapefruit. We have emails? Email from Ross. What are the chances Jose de Leon gets in the Rays rotation now that Brent Honeywell is out of the picture? I will say Brent Honeywell's injury does not necessarily change Jose de Leon's chances of making the rotation. They were not planning on going with a five-man rotation until May anyway. Right. Jose de Leon's chances of getting into the rotation on opening day are remain at 0.01%. His chances of being in the rotation sometime this year... I think are like 99%. If he stays healthy, which he didn't last year. Right. Had trouble staying healthy. Hasn't been effective in the majors when he's gotten the chance, but I still like the, the talent level. B-Rye? B-Ry? Bree. It's B-Rye. In a head-to-head categories league, should starting pitchers be valued less? They play a big role in points in Roto, obviously. But in ERA and whip categories, your studs are mostly going one time a week, and any bad performance from any of your pitchers can undo their good performance for those categories. Wins are also unreliable, so I'd really be using a second-round pick on sale or a fourth on DeGrom for quality starts and Ks. Are head-to-head categories leagues, do they make starting pitchers less valuable? Yes. Yes. Unless it's set up so you have to draft five, right? Yes, I, I think that is a very, very, very small minority of head-to-head categories leagues. Uh, very. Yeah, okay. my, my main head-to-head categories league has Roto rosters. Uh, and there are several of them that will have, like, you draft two starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, yeah. and three pitchers. Yeah. 
but it's really rare to see our head-to-head points lineups being used for a head-to-head categories league unless Scott White is the commissioner. Well, I think that's the default setting. Dear Ronald, Kyle, and Mike. Scott, tell us who they are. Ronald Acuna, Kyle Wright, and Mike Soraka, Braves prospects. Yes. Yeah. Justin plays in a multiple daily, multiple daily locking head-to-head points leagues. There's a lot of qualifiers there where you have to set a number of starting pitcher slots and a, and RP slots. That makes it advantageous to have relief pitchers who can start every day as starting pitchers. Basically the opposite of Sparps. What's the opposite of Sparps? Praps? Uh, no, because it'd be R-P-A-S-P. Rapaps? Rapasp. Last year, there was De- Iglesias and Devensky. Do you guys know of any pitchers that fit the bill? Starting pitchers who will be relief pitchers or who may gain eligibility early in the season. Not necessary for them to get saves. Looking for help in the ratios. Uh, You're on the clock. Yeah. Well, Brad, Brad Peacock. Brad Peacock. Yeah. Uh, not that I don't think he will make starts. He won't make starts eventually, but this is a hard question to answer because it's going to depend a lot on how spring training works out. If Stephen Matz writes things, Zach Wheeler could be in the rotation and could be a pretty valuable piece as a uh, as a reliever. I think he's someone who could play up as a reliever. But Stephen Matz also has options left. I would. Bet on him starting in the minors at this point. Um, does Matt Andres qualify for the Rays? Did he get starting pitcher eligible last year? I believe he's, I believe so. Now when they go to five, when they go to the five man rotation later in April, I suspect he'll be the fifth man. Um, and then the Brewers have like 17 starting pitchers, most of which are actually bad as starting pitchers. <laughs> sure. But one or two of them I would expect will be in the, we're talking about just for names. Ulysse Chassin, Giovanni Gallardo, Wade Miley, Junior Guerra. Uh, a couple of those guys are going to end up in the bullpen. It won't be Chassin. He's and could be decent. Yeah, he's got a he's got a big deal. All right, Jared. There aren't many left-handed starting pitchers in the NL Central. Can you talk about the advantage that gives a lefty-heavy lineup like the one the Pirates are building for this year? They've got Gregory Polanco, Josh Bell, Colin Moran, Adam Frazier, and Corey Dickerson. You're only going to face your own division 72 times, I believe. Which is a lot. It's, it's a almost lot. as big as your home park. It's a lot, but it's not, it's not so much that it would change how I go about drafting those guys. Like you're probably talking about maybe a difference of 10 to 15 starts over the course of a season compared to a typical, uh, lineup. And then with starting pitchers, you actually just never know. What I mean, a rotation is going to look like in two months? Yeah, I'm I'm caught off guard here because I haven't uh, I haven't researched the handedness, the breakdown of handedness by division. So I don't. We're just kind of going. We're just kind of taking his word for the idea that the NL Central has significantly less than other divisions. Well, the Cubs right? have two. The Reds, I don't think they have any. The Cubs have two. Lester well, and Quintana. Yes, the Reds might have Amir Garrett. Maybe might have Amir Garrett. Brandon Finnegan uh, is the, one. The Brewers might have um, Wade Br- Miley, Brent Suter, or Wade Miley, and or Wade Miley. Josh Hader's lefty too. Yeah, that's obviously a bullpen piece, and and you know that's worth bringing up too. Well, that, like, but that's that's it, my point is that the opening day rotation isn't the rotation. To try to help answer the question, also, if that makes an impact, it will make its biggest impact in the first and last month of the season because. 
those are much more weighted towards division games generally. I, I, I assume that's the same again this year. All right. And the last email, John from Boston has a question about pitchers and inning limits that he was hoping we could discuss. Are there any pitchers who had inning limits last year who will be unleashed this year? No concern about them skipping starts in the second half or being shut down. Maybe guys like McCullers, Jordan Montgomery, mainly younger pitchers. Uh, Luis Castillo comes to mind as a uh, high-profile example of this. Based on his draft price, everyone is assuming he's going to throw 175 to 180 innings, I would guess, because uh, people are really jumping on Luis Castillo right now. Uh, Scott, can you think of any other ones? I think this is going to be a less safe assumption this year and going forward than, you know, it's, it's obviously something traditionally we've, we've, um, just assumed in fantasy. Oh yeah. 30 inning increase. Oh, this is going to be the year he goes 200 innings. Like I, d- I don't know that they're growing many. Nobody goes 200 innings. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, but you, we don't mean literally nobody. I mean, Luis Severino did it for 15, the first time last year. 15 pitchers did it last year. Be, 15 did it the year before. Right. It's never yeah. something you should assume. And even 180 innings is becoming a dangerous assumption. So um, in theory, Dylan Bundy should be equipped to do that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castillo, like you said. I'm not counting on McCullers. No. Uh, no, I, not Jordan Montgomery either. And that's less about skipping starts. And more about just I'm not sure how deep those guys are going to go into this. I starts. think Jose Barrios could be a guy that makes the leap into that 200 yep, inning yep. category. That, I would agree. For me, that's more about effectiveness. Right. Yeah. Um, I I guess I could see like Alex Wood doing it, but the Dodgers are also one of those teams that likes to mix and you know they. they I would made, take the under the uh, ten you, day DL. If you set the over under at 170 on every Dodgers starting pitcher except Clayton Kershaw, I would yeah. probably take the. Under. Did Nelson Lamette get shut down last year? I don't think so. Yeah, he could. Maybe he could do it. I, I, John Gray is someone who there are no injury concern or, or inning concerns for him. He didn't pitch a lot last year. Yeah, that's a but good that one. was mostly because he had a freak foot injury in spring training and didn't pitch until May. That's a good one because they actually consider him the staff ace. And uh, Jameson was... Tyone is probably someone who could break into that 180 innings in last year. His issue, you know, beyond just missing about a month uh, because of surgery, he also just hasn't been able to pitch deep into games. A lot of them, it's just can Jameson Tyone get more effective? Can Jose Barrios be more effective? Can these guys become consistent six to seven inning guys? Yeah, um, maybe that's like the Mike Clevenger. Concern. Mike Clevenger, although we don't know if he's going to open in the rotation, so yeah, he might not it's get looking pretty likely innings. though, since Danny Salazar's still not ready to pitch. Uh, Jacob Faria probably could be unleashed. Could be. So some of those guys, and of course, which pitchers will face innings limits? McCullers probably. I don't think he's <laughs> McCullers ever always will. Yeah, um, the Dodgers. Everybody on the Dodgers that they've got a lot of talented pitchers and a lot of guys that you really like. Um, would Sean Newcomb be on an innings limit this year? Probably not. He limits I himself. don't know. If, yeah. yeah, I mean, he'll limit himself, and just the number of options I think will limit him. Um, I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about it going into the season. Like, you shouldn't be drafting those young pitchers who might have innings issues that high anyway, because there's a lot of things that can go wrong well before they hit their innings limit. Like, like you should treat every pitcher who hasn't achieved it before as if like 160 innings 150 innings maybe is even the cap 
if like, Luis, that's where we are right now. And if Luis Gahara reaches the point where we have to worry about an innings limit, his season has been wildly successful and you've reached a return on your investment. I think that's yeah, the way to look at absolutely. it. For most of these guys, you should push the younger starting pitchers down your draft board more than their talent might suggest just because they're unproven. You don't know how much they're going to throw, but if they reach their innings limit, it's probably a successful season anyway. Mm-hmm. I think we've reached our limit. Yes, I think so. We've talked that through quite enough. Scott, are you going to be okay? You almost yeah, died mid-podcast. I did. I, I got a cough drop in my mouth. You probably hear it rattling against <laughs> my teeth now, which is disgusting <laughs> in its own way, but it did stop the coughing. Get me out of this room. Thank you, Scott White. Thank you, Heath Cummings. Adam, please come back. We'll see you guys tomorrow.